My name's Corbin. For those of you who haven't met, um, it's great to be worshipping with you this morning. Uh, I'm about a couple months ago now, and um, you know, in my brain, you know, December was a while away. December 10, it was a remix week. It was during my annual leave. Felt very safe. Um, but December 10 really creeps up on you, hey. Um, and so here we are. And with that in mind, I might just get you to bow your heads for one last prayer. Uh, hey, Father God, uh, thanks for being here with us today. Um, we, we're here today, I guess, because uh, we all want to know you better. Uh, and we just pray this morning that... Um, that I might get out of your way and you can show us a little bit about you and a little bit about ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Look, I'm not really sure if it's because I am on annual leave at the moment, but I'm spending a bit of time at the moment just sort of looking around, taking a step back, taking stock of, um, you know, where I am at the moment, you know, professionally, um, spiritually, emotionally, um, just sort of reflecting on where things are at this year um, compared to, you know, this time last year and contemplating where they might be this time next year. Uh, It feels like every year is filled with change at the moment. I don't know if it's the stage of life I'm in or if everybody sort of feels like each year is filled with more change than the year before. I also don't know if this tendency is just sort of a natural part of getting older, you know, Um, and I'll continue to say that until I'm 29 and then I'll say late 20s and who knows, then I'll stop saying anything. Uh, Maybe it's this period before Christmas, maybe this, maybe you're kind of gearing up for next year, whatever changes that might bring. Maybe it's, you know, starting a new job, moving house, moving cities, um, finishing college, finishing uni, starting another year of uni next year, finishing school. I know the school leavers have probably finished a couple of weeks ago. So, um, you know, maybe it's a simple, you know, maybe you're having a baby soon. Maybe you're getting a new pet. Maybe you're getting a new coriander plant. Whatever it is, um, you know, it feels like, you know, as, as life goes, we're never really that far from a period of, of change, from this sort of transitional period. The next one's never too far away. So I I think the truth is now's probably as good a time as any for me and maybe for you to to be thinking about, um, you know, where things are, reflecting on where you are and and maybe where you're headed. I think it's quite a healthy impulse. It's not one that I've always had. Um, You know, certainly when I was a bit younger, in my late, early 20s, um, I didn't really have this compulsion to consider where my life is headed. Uh, Each year just seemed to roll around much the same as the next. Very few responsibilities, very very few worries. But I think it's 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 worth considering, regardless of sort of what stage you're at. There's actually a macro version of this sort of concept or theory. Um, I'm not sure if many of you have read um, Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, It's a great read. I encourage you to. To, to track it down if, you, if you're inclined over the holidays. But he basically, he, there's a chapter where he sets out this sort of thought exercise and he kind of frames it as, an, you know, what you, what you would like people to say at your eulogy, which is, I guess, a little bit morbid. But the, the, the concept is that, you know, consider 
your colleagues, your acquaintances, your friends, your family? Um, you know, what, what do you think that they would be saying about you now? Um, what would they say about you in five years' time, ten years' time, twenty, forty years' time? What do you think are the kinds of things about you that stand out to them? Uh, it's an interesting exercise because he also asks you to contrast that with what are your current priorities, what are your current habits, what are your current um, competing interests, the things that you are pouring energy and time into right now. And do they, do they marry up well or do they maybe conflict with that list of things that you thought people might be saying about you 10, 15, 20 years from now? Um, I tried this exercise and I was not very happy with the results. Um, so maybe it sounds a little bit heavy, but it is really, um, I think it's pretty thought-provoking um, and it certainly asks some questions that, that are worth answering, I suppose. And maybe look, may not feel particularly relevant to you right now. It certainly didn't for me a few years ago, but I guess what I'm hoping is this morning that I can convince you that taking stock of your situation is never a bad idea, it's never a waste of time uh, in the broader sense. Uh, I wanted to illustrate this with a story, and the best story I could think of was something that happened to my sister recently. So um, my sister Samika, she's visiting from college for the holidays. Uh, she's actually been with us for a couple of weeks, and it's a couple of weeks longer than she wanted to be with us. She had originally planned to take a trip to New Zealand uh, for a couple of weeks with a friend. She, uh, you know, she was finishing up college. It just seemed like a good time of year to go to New Zealand for a couple of weeks. Uh, I wasn't there for the planning, you know, planning portion of this holiday, but I imagine a fair bit of thought went into what clothes to take and booking flights and planning an itinerary. These are the places we want to hit while we're there, make the most of it. Uh, unfortunately, the, the part of the planning process that involves making sure your passport's in order didn't come until two days before she left. And so my old man, who's living in the US at the moment, um, in Houston, got a call uh, two days before she was due to leave at about 3 a.m. in the morning from memory... Um, his mum tells me he's fumbling around for his phone. It's the middle of the night. Oh, oh it's Samika. What does she want? Um, he kind of croaks out, hello, you know, what's going on? And it just comes thick and fast down the barrel of the phone. You know, you can just, any parent can imagine, if you've particularly got a kid, you know, late teens, early 20s, my passport's expired, my passport's expired. What do I do? I need to leave in two days. How, where do I go to get a new one? Can you, can you fix this? Um, and... Uh, Reportedly, there was about a 15-second silence while Dad's 3am brain sort of processed this news. And then he went, well, you're stuffed. <laughs> and, and I probably didn't happen this way, but I like to imagine that he then just hung the phone up and went back to sleep. But I don't know exactly how the phone call panned out. But I think it is worth taking stock of your situation, seeing where you are, where you want to be in the near, medium and, and distant future, uh, and just checking whether, whether, whether you know, the direction you're heading in now aligns with that destination. So, you know, I guess the, the conclusion to this story is that Samika's been picking strawberries in the summer heat instead of being in New Zealand. I hear it's lovely over there this time of year. Um, 
Oh, I haven't turned this on, sorry. Um, I guess in a perfect world, when we reflect on these types of questions, everything sort of aligns, you know? Today's habits and priorities and the behaviours that we're sort of, you know, behaviours we're sort of perpetrating today, they match our values and our plans for tomorrow. But I guess the question I want to ask you, what, what if the place that you want to be headed doesn't necessarily follow on naturally from your current habits, your current priorities, the things you're currently pouring your time and energy into? What if the destination that that you have planned for tomorrow doesn't align with the direction you're heading in today? And again, I'm aware that this probably may sound a little bit bit intense and a um, a little bit much, I know when I was finishing high school, these questions didn't even occur to me. And look, maybe it's, maybe it's part of becoming a parent. I don't know. I do worry that I'm slowly morphing into a version of my old man. I think as, as people do as they get to my age, you know, he loves this kind of stuff, planning, taking stock, assessing, figuring out the best way forward. When we, go on a tri- when we went on a family trip... He'd compile a compendium that was bound about an inch thick. It would have each day's activities on it. He's a big fan of, of, of different sayings. One of them is, you know, those who fail to plan, plan to fail. I'm sure you've heard. Another one is, um, I'd rather be looking at it than for it. He loves that one. And it made for a very full car on a camping trip, but it never really steered us wrong. You, can, you know, fast forward to this year, I'm taking my little family, like my little one and Ash, we're heading off to the beach just for the afternoon and there I am throwing in chairs and gazebos and the kitchen sink and Ash pokes her head into the back of the car and she's like, do we need this for the afternoon at the beach? And I was like, you'd rather be looking at it than for it. <laughs> and um, she's like, what? <laughs> she's like, okay, Grandpa, and just walked off. And I found myself looking at my reflection in the window of the car and just thinking, like, that's it. I'm, I've become my dad. I've got his delicate white skin. I've got his receding hairline. And now I'm obsessed with planning and overpacking. So I'll just grow a goatee and call me Glenn. <laughs> but even if these aren't particularly practical concerns for you from maybe a professional or a logistical maybe even an emotional standpoint. Um, what about spiritually? Where are you at in your relationship with Jesus? Does tomorrow's destination align with today's direction? Are your current spiritual habits, and your current life priorities getting you there or are they just getting in the way? Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're just going to take a I look at a short encounter that Jesus had in in Matthew chapter 19, uh, starting in verse 16. Um, A couple of the other Gospels, I think uh, Mark and Luke, also recount this story. Um, I guess for a little bit of context, uh, you know, Jesus is moving slowly through Judea. He's sort of ministering and teaching and preaching um, to large crowds of people that are following him. Uh, just prior to this passage, he's been uh, answering questions from religious leaders, uh, ministering to you know, 
people who have brought their children to be prayed over and blessed by him. Um, and just, I guess, you know, as I'm sure you, you've probably heard before, it's such a culture shock that Jesus brought um, to that time and that place. As you can imagine, through this large crowd of people, um, this young man comes towards Jesus. And this is a young man that I think has, has been doing this exercise. He's been taking stock of his life, where things are at, where he's headed and where he wants to be. And maybe on paper, things looked okay to him. Uh, Maybe he was able to tick most of the boxes. He was crossing the T's, dotting the I's. Things seemed to be on track, but something was gnawing at him. You know, regardless of what was on paper, when he compared his current values, his current priorities to where he ultimately wanted to end up, uh, things didn't balance. They didn't align. Something didn't didn't feel quite right. I'm sure we all know this feeling in one way or another. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like the feeling when you, you, know, you leave the house, five minutes later you, you, know, you feel like you've probably left the stove on or the iron on, your hair straightener on. Or maybe you know, you've had a, a brief interaction with someone that you know pretty well and you know, they sort of said all the right things, all the normal things, but maybe it was something in their face or their tone of voice or the way that they held themselves during your interaction that just sort of told you something was a bit different, maybe something wasn't quite right with them. I don't know, maybe if you were to take stock of your life, I know when I take, took stock of my life, a similar feeling came over me. So this man comes to Jesus, he says, uh, it's in verse 16, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Um, I think in Luke, it's phrased a little differently. It sort of says, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? And then Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only, only one is good. Seems a little bit, um, I don't know, a little bit dismissive off the bat to me, just reading it straight up. I think Jesus clearly can tell this man's a devout Jew. He knows the law. He knows their belief system well. He knows that their belief system revolves around following the law of Moses to make, you, to make himself right with God in the sacrificial system that they had uh, for when he fell short. And I think Jesus knows that the real question is coming. So, so he plays a straight bat. He gives the answer that everybody in the crowd is expecting. So the immediate follow-up from the young man is, well, which ones, which commandments, he inquired. Jesus replied, well, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother and, and love your neighbour as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? So like any devout Jewish person at the time, he knew how to follow the law. You know, he's probably already a long way ahead of where I am. You know, I I know some of the law. I struggle to follow it. I mean, honour your father and mother. It's debatable, but I may have already broken that a couple of minutes ago. But this man has kept, kept all of those. And uh, in Luke, it, this, Luke's version actually says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. So you have to ask, why is he here? 
if this is the answer that people expect from Jesus, um, if this is the answer this young man probably expected, then why, why has he come anyway? Why does he have this uncomfortable feeling that something is holding him back in his spiritual walk? Um, so Jesus answered, well, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I think in our culture today, you, you, could nearly, you could nearly replace the word rich with, with comfortable or affluent. You know, I think for myself, when, when I'm comfortable, when I mistakenly feel like my physical or emotional or financial needs are being met, that's probably when I'm in a very dangerous place spiritually. And Jesus addresses this issue in maybe his first ever sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's a few chapters earlier in Matthew. You know, he sort of says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What he doesn't say is, blessed are the rich, blessed are the comfortable, because Jesus knows that, that comfort breeds complacency. Comfort hypnotizes us and reorganizes our priorities without us even realizing. And then before we know it, we're a mile away from the path that we, were thought, we thought we were on. Um, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? This idea that Jesus is, is bringing up kind of goes against everything their culture had taught them about wealth and about blessing. Wealthy people at that time were thought to have found some kind of special favour with God, be particularly right with God. How else could you explain the inequality in, this, in their society? How could you explain why some are so rich and so comfortable and others struggle so hard. And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. A little bit cryptic, uh, especially for you know, the people in the crowd at that time. And their entire belief system is centred this way, around following the law in order to be right with God. And here, you know, I think Jesus is pointing to, to his death and his resurrection, to his sacrifice making us right with the Father. Uh, and if we were to keep reading the very next chapter in Matthew, he again warns his disciples, his followers, about his upcoming death and resurrection. And unfortunately, they're, they're not able to understand his message. We come back to this young man, you know, when I really think about him, I actually think he probably knew when he came to Jesus what was getting in his way spiritually. You know, he'd been going through the motions, he'd been keeping his nose clean, he'd been following the law, crossing the T's, dotting the I's. But when he took stock of the things that he valued the most, something still felt wrong. He could still feel his faith wavering, faltering. He knew that the things that occupied his time and energy weren't taking him in the direction he wanted to go. 
And if he were really honest, he probably already knew that, that his wealth was his biggest obstacle. But he needed Jesus to say that out loud. He probably went that, there that day really hoping for reassurance. I don't know how often we come to God hoping for reassurance, coming to him with, with things we feel aren't quite right and hoping that he'll give us a sense that, that they are, that things are okay. This man was hoping that, you know, his law following on its own might, might be enough or that if there were a problem that it would just be a small tweak, you know, an easy fix. Maybe it was just something else he could tack on to his otherwise impressive resume. Maybe there was just one more paragraph that he could add on and then he'd make it to the minimum word count on his essay. Maybe, maybe he'd do just enough to pass the course. The problem for this young man is that Jesus doesn't often ask us to, to give up or to alter the easy little things, does he? He doesn't ask us for the minimum because the easy little things are rarely what, what's holding us back. And, it, and if we're honest with ourselves, our spiritual journey, our spiritual walk, it's not just about scraping by, reaching the word count, passing the course. So what about you then? If this story were written about you, would Jesus say that there is anything that you still lack? Would he maybe caution you about something that you need to keep your eye on? I don't know what it is. Maybe for you it's material possessions like this young ruler. Maybe instead you've been you know, buried at work, increasingly, increasingly engaged in your work to the point where you've, you've now got a bit of tunnel vision. Maybe it's one or two personal relationships that are competing for your focus and attention and unfortunately that comes at the expense of time spent with the father. Maybe, maybe like me, it's not just one particular thing for you. Maybe it's more that the always increasing demands of, of everyday living have filled up more and more pockets of your time, more and more pockets of your mental capacity, and now your time with the Father is becoming increasingly brief, sporadic, superficial. Maybe, and I'm speaking from experience, maybe you're in a season of life where you've gone with, from walking with God every day to talking with God every other day or on occasion. And now that direction, which seemed so clear a year ago or six months ago, so clear and purposeful is now a little bit more difficult to see. Uh, look, I, I hope... I was reading this to myself this morning and I thought, gee, that sounds grim. <laughs> um, I hope it doesn't sound too grim. I guess what I do hope, though, is that I can sell you on the idea of taking some time to ask yourself these difficult questions. Because whether or not you're coming into a transitional period or you've just come through one, these are the kinds of reflections that we kind of like to avoid, don't we? Or at least postpone Without wanting to generalise you too much, I, I think you're probably a little bit like me. Most of us are procrastinators to some degree. Ironically, I saw a TED talk a few years ago about procrastination. It's by a guy named Tim Urban. I'm sure many of you have probably seen it. I was hoping to play a bit of it, 
But in a twist of irony, I procrastinated this so long that I couldn't get the video to work. You have to look it up, and uh, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good watch. Um, I'll try and summarise his thesis. Basically, he's, um, his theory is that each of us in our brains has a rational decision-maker. Unfortunately, those of us who procrastinate also have a, an instant gratification monkey. And when the rational decision-maker is trying to get the right thing done at the right time, the instant gratification monkey takes control and just looks for things that are easy and fun. There is only two criteria. So all of the hard things that we probably should be doing or could be doing, they get pushed to a later time and we end up on new... Uh, and so he moves through this and he kind of goes, well, how do procrastinators end up getting anything done? And his answer is that there's another character in this little scenario called the, the panic monster. It's a dormant character and it only awakes when there is a looming deadline. You know, something that would entail some kind of professional or personal embarrassment. Something like talking in front of a large group of people. Um, for him, he used the example of, a of his actual TED talk. Um, and so, eventually, the deadline gets close enough that the panic monster wakes up, scares the instant gratification monkey away, and the rational decision maker is finally able to take control. But he finishes by illustrating this, this idea that that works for discrete projects with predetermined deadlines. But so much of our lives are not predetermined. They don't have physical or literal deadlines. You know, whether you're an entrepreneur starting a business or, um, you know, you want to work on things in your social or emotional, personal lives, none of those things have a firm deadline. It's all up to you to get the ball rolling. And so in those circumstances, the, that panic monster, it just stays asleep. It never wakes up. And we can procrastinate things for months, years or longer. He wrote this originally as a blog post and he said he was inundated with stories of people, you know, very successful people with PhDs and, you know, all different types of career paths who were saying, you know, I ha I'm this person, I have this problem. But they weren't writing in a light-hearted way like he intended his post to be. They are writing with genuine regret and shame and guilt that they lived with every day because, you know, each day they reflected on the fact that they were becoming a spectator in their own lives, just watching time pass them by. And here's the thing, I, you know, I, I bet our rich young ruler probably could have asked himself these questions, you know, where am I at with God, where am I headed? Maybe six months, a year earlier, maybe two years earlier, maybe five years earlier, maybe before he'd become so attached to this accumulation of wealth and possessions and power, maybe before he'd built this empire that, that competed so aggressively for his time and his energy, maybe before this conflicting priority had grown into this insurmountable obstacle that blocked his access to the Father. Who knows? What I do know is that that's not what Jesus wants for you. And although these questions don't have an obvious deadline attached to them and the temptation is there to put them off, maybe until a time when things aren't so hectic for you, do you realistically see that time in the near future? Is life realistically going to become less hectic anytime soon? 
If not, can I challenge you not to ask these questions next month or next year? Can I challenge you to ask them today and answer them today? Well, maybe not today, but sometime soon. And if these questions reveal something to you that's getting in the way of your spiritual well-being, of your emotional health, the health of your relationships, can I also challenge you to instead of walking away disheartened like this young man, just bring it to Jesus, who promises to work through any of those problems with you. Shall we pray? Father God, um, we're so thankful that you, you take time to not only come here and be with us now, but to be involved in our day-to-day lives. Uh, we, know, we know that you know what's best for us and that you, you only want good things for us. And so we just pray that we will ask ourselves the questions that you would have us ask um, and come to you with the problems that are keeping us from heading in a direction that we know we need to be heading so that you can help us work through uh, the issues that are blocking us from, from the best life we could have. Um, I want to thank you for everything you do for us, for Jesus' sacrifice, and just pray that as we go into this holiday period, we might uh, wrestle with these questions. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.